Welcome to church this morning. Uh, it's my privilege to be able to round out our series on the miracles of Jesus and to be able to explore with you uh, the final miracle in this series that we're going to unpack. Um, I send my children to a few days of daycare and I've noticed something during pickup time that's very prevalent. When it comes to around pickup time, kids, parents start coming to pick up their kids and kids start leaving the room you can see and sense a palpable tension growing in the room. That as kids start leaving, right, the other kids start looking at one another and going, what's happening? What's going on? And then every time a parent enters the room or an adult enters through the door, all the eyes shoot to the door. And it's like, they're all thinking the same thing. Is that my mommy? Is that my daddy? And as more and more kids start getting picked up, you can feel the tension rising and some kids actually start getting more and more distressed. Now, there's been a few times, and only a few, when I have rocked up and my child has been the last one there. Um, and it's been very rare. And it's not because I was late. It's just parents pick up the kids really early. Um, and the last one there, and... Um, and when I step through the door, the mixture of both elation, joy, relief, and also a bit of anger comes flooding through my child as they both scream and half cry their way into my arms. Um, if they could talk, uh, they would probably be both laughing, high-fiving me, and probably slapping me as well. You know, why are you so late? You know, um, and Today, I want to talk about that feeling. That feeling as we wait for God to show up because there are seasons in our lives, maybe you're going through it now, or maybe you've gone through it in the past, when you've, it's felt like God is not showing up for you. You are hearing about testimonies of how God's showing up in other people's lives. You go to your connect group or your small group and you hear about how God is giving them breakthrough after breakthrough in their lives, in their families, in their situation, but God is not showing up for you. And you kind of like feel that, like that child in daycare that's looking at all the parents that are coming through, right? Child, children are getting picked up. But where is my dad? Where's my mom? Where is my God when I need him the most? We sang songs about how God would never fail about how we sought him and he answered, how he was the fourth man in the fire. What about those seasons in our lives when we go through it? We go through it. When it feels like we go through the fire and God is not there. When we go through a season where we seek God, but he doesn't answer. What do we do then? And today I want to talk into that because in the final miracle that we're gonna explore, the two sisters in the story, in this miracle, experienced what I just described. They experienced this feeling of God not showing up. And so that's what we're gonna look at today in John chapter 11, verse 17, the miracle of the raising of Lazarus. John chapter 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Days. Now, if you read in your Bibles a few verses earlier, you will actually see that this was deliberate. 
Jesus heard the news that Lazarus was gravely ill, and he delayed after hearing those, that news for two more days. Two more days. And so when he finally did arrive, he was late. He, he, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles away from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God would give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to meet him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? That he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, you love your church. You love your people. And Lord, you have a message to them. You have something you wanna tell them from your word. I pray that it will go out clearly. I pray that we have ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to hear and what you want us to see, oh Lord. And I pray for those who, whose faith has, something has happened, something has died in them. Lord, I pray that you will raise it back from the dead, that you will call the dead back to life. And I pray that you bring healing and hope to hopelessness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you had been here, that's what Mary and Martha said to Jesus. Both of them said the same thing. If you had been here, Jesus, that statement is both a statement of faith and of despair. It's a statement of faith because they believed that Jesus had the power to heal. 
if you had been in Jesus, something different would have happened. My brother would not have died. It was a statement of faith. They believed that Jesus had the power to heal. Yet, it was a statement of despair. Despair. In their mind, in the Jewish mind, uh, they, it was commonly held that when a person died, this, their spirit lingered around the body for around three days. Okay? So you had, if any miracle of resurrection was going to happen, it had to happen within those three days, after which the spirit would leave the body and leave the mortal plane and enter the realm of the dead, Sheol. Okay? That was in their minds. Okay? So for Mary and Martha, Lazarus, their brother, had been dead four days. Four days is significant because now the resurrection of their brother, their miracle, had gone from improbable to impossible. It was now impossible in their minds for their brother to be risen back from the dead. It, is, it can't happen. It's beyond hope. And that's why the statement is both a statement of faith and despair. If you had been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died, meaning you were late. Where were you? If you had been here, if you had showed up when we needed you to, things would have been different. And I wonder if some of us, we felt that. We've uttered that. Maybe you've prayed that. Maybe you just thought that or felt that. In, your, in some seasons in your life when you needed God to show up, when you needed a breakthrough, maybe you need a breakthrough today and you've been wrestling with God, you've been praying to God, you've been seeking God, but it feels like he's not showing up. If God, if you had been here, my relationship would not have failed. If you had been here, I would not have lost my job. If you had been here, Jesus, my family member would not have died. If you had been here. And that statement, that feeling is not actually a lack of faith, is it? It's not due to a lack of faith in the power of God. Because, actually, it's because you believe that God has the power to give you your breakthrough, to give you your miracle, that it stings even more when it doesn't happen. That's how Martha was feeling. If you had been here, Jesus, you could have done something, but you didn't. You didn't. And I wonder if we can relate as well. Have you been, ever been through a season like that? Maybe you're going through a season now that you've said that, you're saying that to Jesus, if you had been here. We know you could have done something, but you didn't. You didn't show up when I needed you to. And today, I want to, us to explore this passage. Looking at three distinct scenes in this passage. There are three distinct scenes as we read this passage with three messages. And I want us to explore that together. Okay, the first scene that we see is between Jesus and Martha. Jesus and Martha. And the message there is don't give up on Jesus. That was Jesus' message to Martha. Don't give up on me. Now, when I read the interaction between Jesus and Martha, I'm, I don't know about you, I'm very impressed by Martha. I'm very, in fact, as I was preparing this message, I really struggled with Martha's response because it was so good. Like, if someone had just lost a family member, and they said what Martha said, you know what, I believe you are God, I believe that they will rise again back from the dead in the future, that you are the son of God, you are the author of life and you, I will see him again, right? That's awesome. 
I would commend that faith. That is, that is robust faith. Make this guy a leader. This guy's got some faith, right? But Jesus wasn't satisfied with her faith. There was obviously something missing in the theology and faith of Martha. What was it? What was it? The problem that Martha had was where she was looking towards. See, she believed Jesus was her hope for the past. You could have done something, Jesus. You could have done something. And she believed that Jesus was her hope for the future. You have the power to do something in the future. But she didn't believe Jesus was a hope for the present. Do you see that? She didn't believe that Jesus was a hope for the present. Oh, you could have done something, you will do something, but do you believe that Jesus can do something today, today? And that is what Jesus was challenging her on. If I can put it this way, Martha had given up on Jesus, that Jesus could still do a miracle today, that Jesus was still her answer today for her grief, for her hopelessness. Jesus is still doing something today. And she had resigned to that and just hung on to the future hope she had in Christ. <clears throat> now, hanging on to our future hope in Christ is awesome. It is really, really good. It's scriptural, it's biblical, it's really good. But what Jesus was challenging her on was Martha, you're hanging on to a future hope in what I can do and what I will do, but you have given up on me that I am still your hope for today. And Jesus was trying to bring her faith from the future and bring it into the present. And he was challenging her to once again wrestle with this tension that we feel when God doesn't seem to be doing anything in our challenging circumstance. This wrestle that we have with God that I know he will do something, but while I hold on to that, do I still believe that he's gonna do something today? And it's this wrestle that many of us avoid. We hate this, we hate it. And that's why we tend to go to two extremes. Either we go to one extreme and demand that God always heal us. God must always give me my breakthrough. God must always heal me. God must always give me financial success. God must always give me the miracle when I need it, how I need it. Or we go to the other extreme and we say, well, God could heal us. God could give me my miracle, but that's not really the point. The point is just to hold on to my future hope that God will one day heal me, God will one day give me abundance and wholeness. When I see him again, when he returns, it makes all things new. Both are too simplistic. Both are reductionistic. Both box God up. And they are not consistent with reality, and they're not consistent with scripture because the truth lies somewhere in the uncomfortable middle. This uncomfortable middle is exactly what Jesus is challenging Martha to. 
where you hold on to your future hope in Christ, the future redemption you have in Christ, right? And yet, when it feels like God is not doing anything, will you still pray to Him? Will you still hope in Him? Will you still hang on to Him that He is still your present help in times of need? Will you still believe in that? Because there's something that happens in us when sometimes it is more painful to do that than just give up. You know, this pastor um, once told, how, shared how when he was younger, he would um, play a lot of basketball. And he would get injured often. He would get sprained ankles and stuff like that. And he, and he found that there was a very effective way of recovery, okay? And it would be to get a bucket, fill it with ice and water, and then plunge your sprained ankle into it. Now, if you can hold your sprained ankle in the water for one minute, you have incredible pain tolerance, okay? If you can hold it there for two minutes, your recovery time is cut in half. Now, if you can hold it there for two and a half minutes, meaning 30 seconds more, you'll be walking in a few days. Sprained ankle, walking in a few days, okay? Now, if you can hold it there for three minutes, that's 30 more seconds, you'll be walking by tomorrow. However, the problem is, you, for the last 30 seconds, you'll be screaming for someone to hack off your leg. This is that painful. In fact, keeping your leg in the water, living under the pain, will be more painful than the injury itself. But if you can do that, you'll be walking by tomorrow. There are seasons in our lives when it can feel more painful to engage with our pain and grief together with God and to still believe that God can, is still doing something in your life through this, in this, that there is still hope here. That even though you aren't experiencing your breakthrough, that I'm still gonna pray to God for my breakthrough. Even though, I'm not, even though I'm not experiencing it, even though I'm not seeing it, even though it seems like God is not showing up, I'm still gonna believe that He will and that He can still do something for me. He's still my hope. He's still my answer. I'm still gonna cling to Him. Sometimes it can feel more painful to do that than to just give up and go, you know what? It's okay. It's all right. I will experience my fullness in the future, that's okay. But what we're actually doing when we do that, there's actually a, there's something that dies inside of us. Because when you start doing that, when you let go of, nah, God's not actually gonna do anything now, you actually stop believing that God can do anything. You stop praying for anything. Because what's the point? What's the point in praying to God when he won't show up anyway? What's the point in seeking God when he doesn't answer anyway? So I'll just wait till the end and then everything will be good. There's a part of you that's died. There's a part of your faith that's been seared. There's a scar that you carry. And Martha was getting there. That was, that was what's happening to Martha and Jesus was calling her faith back and going, no, 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 Martha. I am 
the resurrection and the life. No, 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 not I will be the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that I am today? Church, do you believe that Jesus is still the resurrection and the life today? That he can bring dead things back to life? Even after four days, even after the thing has been done and dusted, even though there's no hope, do you believe that he is a God of hope? That, that is what Jesus is challenging Martha on. Do you believe that even in your four days, even after your four days are over, do you believe that I am the God, I am the God that can still bring healing and hope to you? Do you dare to believe that uh, again? Don't give up on Jesus. The second scene that we see is between Jesus and Mary. Jesus and Mary. And here we meet angry Jesus. We meet angry Jesus. And I know what some of you are thinking. Where in the passage do we see an angry Jesus? Okay, it's very interesting. Um, in the English, the English translation, usually English translations are amazing. And this translation is really good. However, there's just something that you cannot really catch here in the English. Okay, um, in verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Okay, let's just zoom into that verse. Okay, so the second scene, Jesus goes from Martha to Mary and Mary comes to Jesus with the exact same, almost the exact same words verbatim that Martha said to him. If you had been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. Well, the difference is when Martha engaged Jesus in a theological discourse, Mary just drops to her, to his feet, and just cries. Now that word for weeping, she wept. It doesn't mean, it doesn't describe silent tears, like when you just cry and just a tear rolls down your cheek, right? That's not the picture that we get. The more accurate picture is wailing. This word for describing what Mary's doing is wailing, meaning she's crying loudly. She's sobbing. She's bursting out in tears, right? So she comes to Jesus and goes, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she collapses to the ground and just wails. Okay? She's done. She's broken. That's all she can get. Martha could have held herself together and expressed faith in God, right? Faith in Jesus. But Mary couldn't. Her grief overwhelmed her. And, and then in response, as Jesus looks and sees Mary wailing before her and the crowds wailing together with her. He's deeply moved in spirit. Now that word deeply moved is one word in the Greek. It's embrimalmai. Embrimalmai. It simply means to snort with anger. To snort with anger. Um, the picture that you should get, that is, it's a good picture to have is, um, you know those cartoons when you see the, um, the bull getting ready to charge? I'm not sure if you've ever seen that. In my head, it's Looney Tunes because I grew up with Looney Tunes. But um, this, the picture of a bull um, stamping the ground, getting ready to charge, head down, right? And it snorts and huge bellows of smoke come from its nostrils, right? That kind of picture. You get that picture? That's snorting with anger. That is embrimamai. The bull is feeling embrimamai, snorting with anger. That is how Jesus is feeling. Jesus is like a bull 
ready to charge. He is furious. He is angry. He's angry. Now, what is he angry about? <clears throat> what is he angry about? Is he angry at Mary? Get up off the ground, Mary. Don't you believe in me that I'm the resurrection and life? Your brother's gonna live. Is he angry at her? Is he angry at the mourners? Get out of here, guys. You're making things worse, you know? No, it, it doesn't make sense. What was he angry at? What was he furious at? He was angry at death. He was angry at the grief, the loss, the devastation, the destruction that sin and the consequence of sin, death, results in. He was seeing firsthand the grief of people that he loved and it angered him because this wasn't part of the plan. Death, grief was not how he created the world. And he's angry at the pain and suffering that we have to go through. So when you picture Jesus, right? How do you picture him? How do you think he's feeling? How do you think he's looking upon you in your suffering? Do you think he's up in, some, in heaven with his ivory tower twirling around in his chest, stroking a black cat going, all in my plan, for my glory. Do you think he's doing that? That is not the picture that we get of Jesus. We don't see this grand master strategist that's just moving pieces on his board without passion. Oh, this one will suffer, that's okay. Eaten by the queen, that's fine. All for my plan, for my victory. That is not the picture of Jesus that we get here. We see a Jesus that is furious when he sees us in pain. Not furious at us, furious at our pain, furious at the grief, furious at the loss that we've experienced. When you've gone through that difficult season, when your family member has suff is suffering through that illness, do you think that God is happy with that? Let this picture be, be seared into your mind that Jesus is furious at that sickness. He's not happy about that. He's not happy about that relationship that failed. He's not happy about that. He's not happy that, at the, the grief that, and the pain and suffering that sin and evil causes us. And that's why we see him weeping. He's weeping. Now the word for weeping here in verse 35 is different from the wailing that is describing Mary, uh, Mary and the mourners. He's not wailing in grief, no. He's not overcome with grief. He's, this word weeping is silent tears, just, just tears, shedding tears. He is crying angry tears. Angry tears, like a parent seeing their child in pain. He's crying angry tears at the suffering that he's seeing. And he is going to do something about it. This bull is ready to charge at death. And he's going to do something about it. In the first point I said, he's calling Martha to believe that he is a God that's going to do something. But what is he going to do? What is he gonna do? That's the last scene. Last scene, Jesus and the tomb. Jesus is doing something. In verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved. That same word, embrimamai, is used here to describe Jesus. As he approaches the tomb, he's not deeply moved with compassion 
or pity or grief. He's moved by one emotion, and that is fury. He's approaching the tomb that signifies death, grief, loss, devastation, and he's angry. He's ready to do battle. This is a battle scene. This is a battle scene. He's gonna war with death. And what is he gonna do? The sting of death had pierced Lazarus, his friend, but he's gonna deflect it because this is a preemptive strike. We're gonna see this miracle as a preemptive strike against the forces of darkness and sin and evil, warning them that your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. Your power and hold over the human race is coming to an end because the author of life, the resurrection and the life is coming to overwhelm and overcome you. And that is exactly what he does in Lazarus' life. Lazarus, come out. Bear in mind, he's decaying. He's rotting. But the resurrection and the life brings him back. Fully, completely. And he walks out of that tomb, unscathed, completely healthy. But Jesus knows that this is a temporary deflection. He still needs to remove the stinger. Right? Lazarus got stung. But the stinger is still in the hands of death. How is he gonna remove it then? There's only one way, and that is on the cross, where he stood in front of the stinger and let it impale him. And as he was impaled by the stinger, he was subjected to all the devastation, all the suffering, all the pain, all the humiliation, all the shame. He endured evil, evil upon his own body so that he could tear away the stinger from death. And that is why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, 57, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen? Amen. That is what Jesus has done for us. He has broken the power of death over us. However, however, when we go through these seasons where we experience great challenge, really hard times, okay? Maybe you're going through it now, maybe you're going through it in the past, all right? Even though we know that Jesus has crushed the power of death and sin in the past, and we know that he will eventually fully, completely crush the power of sin and death over our lives and over the world in the future, it doesn't change the fact that I am still experiencing death and loss right now. So what do I do? What do I do? There's only two things I'm confident, 100% in saying, okay? With 100% confidence, I can promise you two things that Jesus is doing today and that Jesus will do today. One is either Jesus is going to change your situation. Do you believe that? Jesus is going to change your situation. Or he's going to change you through your situation. And I know which one you want. I know which one I want. When I 
am sick, my kids are sick, do you think the thing that's on my mind is I hope that their soul is saved and that they are, you know, they experience the, the you know, a depth of Christ. And I just want them healed. I just want them healed. I just don't want the pain anymore, God. But do you realize that if that's all Jesus cared about, it would have been really easy? Like, even this whole miracle that we just read about, he didn't need any of this drama. If all he wanted was Lazarus to not die, this would be a really short story. The servants go and tell Jesus that Lazarus, hey, Lazarus, your friend is really sick. And he goes, be healed, Lazarus. Done, let's move on, right? Really short story. But that's not what happened because Jesus' goal and purpose is not just to remove suffering from us. It's not just to bring miracles in our lives. Just like that. There must be something more that he's got going on here. And we see it in verse 41. Verse 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. The purpose of this miracle was not just to save Lazarus' life bring healing to him, to give them the miracle. The purpose behind this miracle was to reveal himself more clearly to the world. And in this, he is glorified. See, what I know from this story is that Jesus hates the destruction and pain that sin and death causes us so much that he is and has and will crush its power over us completely. But right now, he does it in one of two ways. Either he changes your circumstance so that he is revealed through your breakthrough and slash or he will change you through your circumstance so that he's revealed through your brokenness. Two options. Maybe one or the other, but hopefully both. Right? Either he will change your circumstance or he's glorified through your miracle, or he is going to make you the miracle. Guess which one is more powerful? See, if he gives you your breakthrough, that's amazing. And we're going to, we pray for that. Absolutely pray for that. Pray for that. But if he gives you your breakthrough, you have an awesome story to tell. And what a story it is! Awesome story. But if he does the second, where through your challenging circumstance, through your grief, through your suffering, you are transformed. You are made new. You become a walking miracle. Not just your testimony, not just story. You, a transformed life, where you, through your brokenness, reveal the glory of Christ to the world. That is a powerful thing. That is a powerful thing. And I know some of us, when we're in pain, we don't need that. We don't want that, right? We're like, Jesus, I'm good. I'm okay. Just give me my breakthrough. Give me my healing and and I'll be on my way. You don't need to touch me. I'm okay. See, 
Jesus knows that more than your wholeness in your body, what is really going to make the most impact in you, through you, around you, is your heart being made whole. More than just a joyful situation, can you be joyful in whatever situation? That is a powerful testimony. You become a walking miracle. You know, um, many of you might be very familiar with this name, Nick Vujicic. He's a guy with no arms and no legs, born that way. And you hear his story, it's incredible. It's incredibly inspiring. Um, through years wrestling with this fear of hopelessness, that he would never be happy, never have a fulfilled life, um, going through depression, trying to even commit suicide. Nick had this moment where things shifted. When his prayer changed from, God changed my circumstance, and it changed to, God changed my circumstance, but if you don't, then use my circumstance for your glory. I wonder if any of us dare to pray that prayer. Now, that is not a prayer of resignation. That is not him giving up politely. No, no, no. Because he, he still keeps a pair of shoes in his closet. Because he believes that God could heal him at any moment. He believes in God of miracles. See, that's the tension. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. That when we can still believe that God is a God of miracles, yet at the same time, still say, God, if you, even if you don't give me my miracle, then make me a miracle. That through me, you can use me as an agent, as a hammer, as a sword that crushes the power of sin, darkness, and evil in the world around me. Because you know what? Even though Nick Vujicic to this day still has no arms and legs, he is a mandatory grade 10 study in the nation of India. The significance of that is, in the nation of India, a man with no arms and legs is the lowest rung in the social ladder. He is an outcast. He shouldn't be looked upon with any favor. He is cursed. Yet, because of his disability and his joyful response in the midst of that disability, every student in India needs to study his life. And through his life, not just this miracle. His life, what God has done in it, through it, he is a living testimony to every student in India. Are you getting that? I wonder if we dare pray that prayer together with Nick Vujicic, together with Martha and Mary, that God changed my circumstance, but even if you don't, then use my circumstance for your glory and my redemption. Even if I do not receive your miracle, and I'm gonna keep believing in that miracle. I'm, just, I'm gonna keep believing that you are the resurrection and the life. But even if you don't give me that right now, I'm still believing that you are the resurrection and the life and you are resurrecting me. You are resurrecting my soul. My spirit, you are redeeming me. Even if you don't redeem my situation right now, you are redeeming my soul. Will you believe that? Do you dare believe that? 
And that is what I believe God is challenging us to do today. Will you pray that prayer too? Especially if you have gone through a season where it's felt like those four days are up or you are going through a season where you feel like God is not showing up. Will you dare to pray that prayer again? Will you believe in Jesus again? That He is the resurrection and the life. Come, let's stand. Let's stand. Today, we want to pray for those of us who, you want to pray that prayer. You want to pray that prayer. God, change my circumstance. But even if you don't, then use my circumstance for, my, for, for your glory. God, give me my miracle. But even if you don't, then make me your miracle. Lord, I thank you that you are, I praise you, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you have crushed power of sin and darkness. You will crush it in the future when you return. And you are still waging war against sin and death and evil today, through us, in us, around us. And so, Lord, I pray that where faith has died, where that belief that you are God of today has dwindled, oh Lord, I say, come out. Faith, rise up again. Son, daughter, come back, come out and meet again your author of life and hope. And so Lord, I pray, oh God, will we always continue to believe that you are God that is doing amazing things today. Bless you, Lord. Now, Lord, may we go in the love of the Father, peace of the Son, Lord Jesus, and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you next week.